Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Texas Values Report. I'm Mary Elizabeth Castle, Senior Policy Advisor for Texas Values, and I'm so excited about the guests we have today, Petrina Mosley, who is a national pro-life leader, and we're going to have a very interesting and intriguing talk today. But we have some good news in Texas. Of course, we just keep on having good news after the overturn versus of Roe versus Wade. But yesterday, Whole Women's Health, who has been kind of the abortion bully in Texas for quite some time, not only have they been a huge abortion provider in the state of Texas, but they're behind all of the lawsuits, all of the lawsuits against the heartbeat law, against um the Dobbs case, uh, they're the ones always filing the lawsuits and always having the legal power. Well, yesterday they announced that they're leaving Texas for good. So we're very excited about that. So we're just happy to have this pro-life victory in our nation, in the state of Texas. But like we've always said, there's more work to be done. And that's kind of what our talk about uh, today will be, um, about how we have more work to to be done to reach women, especially women in different communities, particularly the black community and communities of color where Planned Parenthood and a lot of abortion providers have been uh, targeting for some time. But I want to introduce our wonderful guest, Petrina Mosley. Thank you so much for coming and being on the show with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you all. Yes, we really are glad to have you because you have quite an impressive background. You know, you're a speaker, author, and advocate for the right to life. Uh, you combat sexual exploitation. You talk about faith in the Black family. You've been published in the New York Times, Washington Examiner, The Hill, Washington Times, The Federalist, uh, many newspapers, and you have over 90 published uh, publications. Um, you've testified uh, before U.S. Congress for the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, you've also worked for Family Research Council, and you now uh, have your own consulting business where you advise on pro-life issues, pro-family issues, religious liberty issues, and you work with groups like our big partners, uh, Human Coalition Action. And you've also uh, been published in this recent book called Choose Life, Answering Key Claims of Abortion Defenders with Compassion. So we're very excited to have someone with your background and your, your knowledge on this show. But we're talking about a very important issue today on our show and one that we can definitely relate to. And it's funny how the two of us met. Uh, you started following me on Twitter. I don't have a ton of followers, so I noticed, but we were uh, definitely talking about uh, this issue amongst our team uh, about how um, certain communities have bought into the lie of needing abortion for so long. But before we get into that meat discussion, I do want you to tell our listeners how you got involved in the pro-life movement. What inspired you to become pro-life, but also be an advocate and be so active in the movement and describe how that affects your current work as well. Yeah, um, for me, it was kind of one of those things you fall into by, by accident. I mean, you may have heard this story from a lot of people, like how did you end up getting into this, you know, rigorous type of work is never planned. And you have to just be obedient to uh, how God is leading you and pay attention to your passions and, um, and, your, and your giftedness as well. And one of my passions was justice. And I just could not understand how um, 
the most innocent and the vulnerable could be discarded so easily in the name of healthcare. And so when I got the chance to get educated on what abortion was and what was happening in our country, I just, I, I, I could not, I could not stand by, especially with the, the significant amount of gaslighting that's happening with this issue. It's like, oh, because you're convenient, we have the right to do all, all these horrific uh, abortion methods to you for the sake of someone else's um, benefit and call it healthcare. So the most brutal act that can be committed on the most innocent and vulnerable for me was um, uh, an issue. And then as I got more educated and realized how this um, abortion was a, an expedient tool used for population control to lessen the population of those who look like me and you, that's when I really started taking it personally and uh, wanted to get involved. Yeah, that's an amazing story. You know, I think my story is similar too. just always admiring uh, those in the civil rights movement. But, you know, the issues change over time. And now the issue is our population dwindling uh, due to abortion. And so it's just as right of a civil cause as, you know, the right to vote or the right to eat in a restaurant. I mean, the right to life is the ultimate right. Because if you're not alive, you can't do anything. And so abortion is the ultimate, you know, tragedy. It's the ultimate civil right cause. So that's very inspiring to hear how God used your desires to, you know, fight for this movement. And I have to ask, you know, since you've been in this movement for so long and been active, where were you on the day that uh, the Dobbs decision was handed down? Um, I, I was somewhere at home and I got rumblings of it on Twitter, which okay. is apparently where I, I like to hang out, right? Same, um, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't believe it. Now, I remember getting the news about the leak of the decision and I didn't believe it. I called it fake news. It's fake news. Oh. <laughs> because, you know, we just didn't believe we were actually going to see something like this in our in our lifetime. Right. Um, but um, yeah, I was home and I decided this is just something too amazing to immediately get excited about. So I, I will admit, I waited. I waited. I was like, is this really going to be, be it? And then, of course, the longer they took in, in releasing a final decision, I think a lot of us got a little anxious about what this final decision would be. Would it look as strong as the leak? Um, or would it be stronger? Or would it be weaker? Would it be the complete opposite? Um, but I was very thankful that it was just as strong as we anticipated and um, that we've long waited for. So I'm, I'm happy that it came before I became that old lady that's gray haired and telling <laughs> the younger people of the war stories of us Great. standing on the Supreme Court, you know? So um, I think also this is just a, a testament to the, the grace of God that such a miracle has happened under the most pro-abortion administration we've ever had. Right. And I, I do think that this points to the success of pro-lifers playing the long end game with hoping to secure constitutionalist judges under, you know, an unorthodoxy presidency under Trump. So I think we we have gotten the reward of, of playing the long end game and knowing that we needed to have constitutionalist originalist judges on the bench to uh, reverse what has been so morally incorrect in our country. 
Yeah, that's a very good point. I've heard that made before that, you know, this was the most pro-abortion administration we've seen in a long time. You know, we kind of expected that because of the party that was in charge, but we're talking about a vice president, Kamala Harris, who at one time advocated for abortion up to nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, and to think that, you know, you kind of were thinking the worst would happen under this administration, to be honest. I mean, you did have bills um, from Democrat legislators up in U.S. Congress trying to get these abortion rights codified. But like you said, the long game or the end game of having those really great Supreme Court justices from the last administration um, to uphold life, I mean, truly is the work of God. And to see that happen is a blessing. Well, let's get into the meat of our discussion, the one that, you know, we've been advertising on Facebook and Twitter. You know, ever since the Dobbs decision uh, has come down, there have been countless articles about how, you know, this decision will hurt Black women the most. Uh, There was a recent Texas Tribune article last Friday, you know, just going through this list of just issues that Black women face. And they're like, to solve this, is it? abortion, like they need abortion. Um, But knowing at the same time, like 40% of the abortions are on black women, you know, can you talk about how it is not true that the Dobbs decision will hurt black women? And then talk about the statistics of how abortion is actually hurting black women and black families and how it's actually decreasing our population. Yeah, um, excellent question. And I know that a lot of people have been seeing in the media these articles titled, you know, the reversal of Roe is going to hurt Black women. And anytime we talk about abortion, I do want people to to notice that they always say without fail, any type of pro-life protection is going to hurt Black women and poor women. Every single time is only these two groups. And it's as if it's a dog whistle to say, that, hey, these are the two groups that we're targeting. And right. we already have the, the numbers to, to prove that. So when we talk about abortion and we talk about uh, race, I think it's important to, um, to label abortion what it is. It's institutional systematic racism. And we know that that's, that's terms that are, that are generally used by those who are on the left, who are advocates, uh, uh, advocates of BLM and whatnot. But when you really get down to it, this is the most systematic institutional way to be a racist here and the numbers prove it. We have right now in total 60 million lives that's been lost due to to Roe. Of that 20 million have been African-American babies, 20 million. And so what do you think that does to our population? Uh, According to the last census, we are the slowest growing ethnic group in the country. Um, Hispanics outnumber us in, in any category by two, two to 4%. Um, and we've been here longer, right? African-Americans have been here longer since the 1400s. At least that's what right. history tells us. Right. And um, when we look at where Planned Parenthoods, which is the nation's largest abortion provider, we look at where they're located, 80% of them are within walking distance and in zip codes of black Hispanic communities. Is that a coincidence? Why? Um, We even see Planned Parenthood themselves on their social media accounts intentionally target Black women. They actually had a tweet not too long ago, maybe two two years ago, that said to Black women, they have a specific handle just for Black women that says it is safer for you to abort than to carry to term. Now, all these things are important when you look at 
the founder of Planned Parenthood and the legacy that she's had in racism and in eugenics. She, uh, her name was Margaret Sanger, and many people may or may not know this. So if you know this already, just bear with us. But I don't think this is something that you can hit enough. And it's important as pro-lifers and advocates to not help them hide this history that is still carrying a legacy in our community. She said that, I don't want the word to get out that we want to extinguish the Negro race. And this was in relation to her project that she called the Negro Project, which was getting African-Americans in their community to, to select themselves for abortion. And she did that by uh, soliciting ministers, soliciting those African-Americans looked up to and esteem to tell them it was in their best interest to control their birth, control their population. Um, over time, abortion became legal in the United States, and that became another way to do it outside of birth control, which she was advocating for. And you look at the numbers today, over 80% are in our neighborhood. Um, we're African-Americans are less than 13% of the population. African-American women are 7%, but receive nearly 40% of the abortions. Wow. I mean, you, you look at the math and it's undeniable. Um, and, and also you have states where we have had more black babies aborted than born alive. Um, that's been in New York, Georgia, Mississippi. Um, and, and recently Washington DC where over half the abortions there were on African-American women. And wow. so you look at that and then you look at how we're paying for this through our, our Medicaid because it's deemed as healthcare. So when we talk about institutional racism, it is, it is structured, it is systematic, we, are, we have been paying for it. And um, I think this, this past week marks um, the second greatest reversal that we've had in our country next to slavery. Uh, we had slavery, but thank God we reversed course and had the 14th Amendment. And today, uh, in this present time, we've had a, a second great reversal, and that's been with Roe. And incidentally, both have dealt with Black lives. Yeah, that's very important information, and information that a lot of Black people don't know. And, you know, it's really important to get that information out there. Um, recently, I work with a charity that does kind of this work to educate the Black community about the horrors of abortion. And we held it on the east side of Austin of showing my off at 21, which tells the racist roots of Planned Parenthood. But what's interesting about the east side of Austin, one of the oldest Planned Parenthood branches exists in East Austin, and it's right across the street from none other than a historically black college. So you can mm. see the planning there. You know, you have these women in college who are vulnerable, could find themselves with the pregnancy, really want to finish their education, they can literally walk across the street, you know, to this Planned Parenthood on East Austin. And the city of Austin gave it a sweetheart deal where they only pay $1 rent a year uh, for a period of 20 years. Uh, so you see kind of the orchestrating around that um, to really target communities of color, even here um, where I live in Austin. And I wanted to touch on, you know, a few weeks ago, um, Abby Johnson held like this National Pro-Life Women's Conference. And, you know, she made a comment during this conference um, where she gives kind of like her big speech um, to the crowd that, you know, it's countercultural to be a pro-life woman. And, you know, all of our listeners can relate to that. But she said it's even more so to be 
countercultural if you're a pro-life Black woman. And why do you believe that this is the case in the Black community? And kind of talk about how it has not always been that case, but how the targeting from the abortion industry and other influences like the media, uh, political posturing have played a role in selling that lie that Black women need abortion to survive. And also that, you know, even if you're a Black person who doesn't agree in abortion, that you have to support it. Yeah, it, it is it is a cost to being a Black person and pro-life in this country. Um, I think when you come across such a, a complex uh, situation, the number one question you should ask is, where's the money? Follow the money. And the abortion industry has a lot of money that is connected to political action packs that give to candidates. Those candidates will power and influence and they're connected to media. They're connected to, to Hollywood. And so all of these entities kind of have a symbiotic relationship with each other. And unfortunately it's been to our demise where we've had um, people like Bar President Barack Obama, um, Vice President Kamala Harris, who considers herself black now, that's another story for another day. And a couple of other influential Black, um, you know, celebrities or influencers in our country. They're, they're all in this symbiotic circle that, um, that feeds off of each other and support each other. And, and with that comes a certain set of values that they have to have. So even if you were to espouse these statistics that we just mentioned here about Blacks and, and them being targeted by the abortion industry, they will still look you in the face and say that you're anti-Black, you're anti your community and you're anti-women. It's because they're benefiting from the message that they're, that they're supporting, whether it be financially, whether it be from, from status and influence and whatnot. So you, you have to just realize that the, the, the tippy top of the influencers in our community who are espousing this they're not in it for the for the right reason. Either they're they're ignorant or they're willfully ignorant, but there's no in-between for that. So for African Americans who may not be in that tippy top, who are who may be hearing this, just know it will cost you. It will cost you. Um, and that's okay because it's better to be on the on the side of right. And they will try to strip you. One of the the the, the best psychological techniques that, that is used, that have been used by, by many dictators and those who have done a lot of evil in our world has been to coerce you into supporting their ideal by saying to you, if you don't, this strips away a part of your identity. And we've heard the term, well, we, you, you got your black card taken away because you're, you're pro-life or you support a, a Republican candidate or that you're a conservative. Um, it, is, it is better, that we stick to the side of what is true than what someone else says is a part of our identity. And when it comes to identity, a lot of African-Americans identify as people of faith. And so I would encourage us to put faith over everything, even race. Um, and and even, what, even what may seem to be convenient, put your faith over your race and even what is seems to be convenient. Um, so don't let that bother you, it's been hard. You may be ostracized, left out of certain social circles, uh, denied opportunities. 
You may lose relationships that are important to you and that are close to you, but I would encourage uh, us to remember that, first of all, it is the most innocent, the most vulnerable, enduring the most horrific, brutal act committed on them with no one to speak up for them. And moreover, oftentimes it's the innocent and the vulnerable that look like you and I. Are you are, are you are you going to stand up for that? So just just remember what is right over what may be convenient. Right, that's so powerful. You know, I think they even teach us, you know, as kids, like it's more important to be right than popular. But you know, that's a virtue that you have to carry into adulthood. And like you said, a lot of the celebrities and music artists, they're financially benefiting from this, you know, viewpoint, but it's so sad that, you know, as Black people that have historically always been a people of faith that, you know, we would hold like this contradicting opinion on the life issue uh, just for the sake of like popularity or to claim an identity. But like you said, and you and I both agree that, you know, your faith is the most number one important identity uh, you can have. So just hopefully we can reach that message, you know, to our community um, and beyond. Um, and in the pro-life movement, I kind of want to move to talking about uh, the resources out there, because a lot of times I think our community is sold the idea that um, it's their only hope, you know, that's what they have to do um, to survive. And a lot of times it's not just, you know, to finish an education or get a job, you know, in the black community, they're sold abortion because they're told, you know, if you don't get an abortion, you will die. Or if you don't get an abortion, uh, you will live in poverty. Um, and so they create these very stark, desperate um, attempts to get women to abort. But we know that there are plenty of resources out there. Um, you know, Texas has over 300 pregnancy resource centers and you work in public policy. So can you talk about, you know, any changes that need to be made in public policy um, in order to uh, make our society more pro-life and pro-motherhood? Yes, absolutely. I think right now we have the studies, we have the social science and the medical data that shows that abortion is not good for women. It's not good for black women in particular. It increases our risk of not carrying to term. It increases our maternal mortality. Um, it increases us having children who are born premature. So we have all this data um, that's available to us. Abortion increases psychological adverse effects, um, emotional grief, uh, suicide ideation, all of these things we know. And Black women who have had abortions, they know this. So uh, this is why pregnancy resource centers have outnumbered abortion clinics in our country three to one because there's been a demand for it. And so uh, moving forward in a post-war America, we will need to see uh, even more robust pregnancy centers come into play. Churches supporting those centers, maybe adopting them as part of their ministry, I think is an idea. Um, and also policy-wise, there are some welfare reform changes we can make tomorrow that would incentivize marriage, uh, to support family, you're building strong families, increasing the child tax credits where we can, and also for businesses to promote strong and healthy families by um, making sure they're not discriminating against those who are pregnant, those who are mothers and who, who do have families who may need leave 
Um, so we, there are a lot of rights and non-discrimination rights actually that women can be educated on and use to their benefit to say, no, just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean I can be excluded from my academic activities or my athletic activities. I cannot be discriminated against in the corporate workplace. So there's a, a lot moving forward that we need to do, uh, increasing pregnancy resource centers, making sure women know their rights in the workplace and in academia under Title IX, and also uh, moving forward in this country with businesses to say that we want to build strong families, which means putting your money where your mouth is, increasing um, time leave, federal family leave, child tax credits, and incentivizing marriage and uh, man and wife staying together. Yeah, for sure. And I think we have only two minutes left, but real quick, I just want you to touch on how promoting healthy families in society leads to more pro-life uh, society as well. You know, why is marriage a winning strategy uh, for people of all Black backgrounds, including the Black community, in promoting life? Yeah, I mean, the family structure is the winning cornerstone to succeeding in anything. Um, even the scriptures tell us that in Ecclesiastes 4, it tells us two are better than one. And we see that practically in our social sciences. We see the studies for that as well. Children come out way better when they have a mom and a dad. Um, those who get married early actually stay married longer and they're able to combine incomes and build a nest egg and more financially secure for their families. So it just sets a a path forward for the healthiness of your child and the success of your um, of your of your wealth, really, but for the best trajectory if you are married first. They they call it the success sequence. You you get your education, you graduate, you get married, and then you have kids. And we have the data to support that you set yourself up for better chances of success and success for your children as well. Absolutely. Well, Petrina, it's been a very enriching conversation with you, and I hope we can definitely stay in touch and work together on this issue of pro-life um, in the Black community. But it's been such a pleasure talking with you, uh, getting to know you, and just have someone you know speak truth to our community about uh, how they're being targeted with abortion, but also how pro-life and pro-family is the number one one way to go. So thank you so much for being on with us. And uh, we hope that everyone on the Texas Values Report listening podcast really enjoyed listening and learning from us today. And we'll see you next time at the Texas Values Report.